God, we are thankful for this time of year. Even though it's busy, it feels restful. Um, and we know that our rest comes from the finished work of Christ. And it's a rest that we have that we no longer are required to work for our salvation, but we rest on the work that He has done. And that should have a great effect on our lives, that we work because we know that you are working in us, not to be made right with you, but because we are right with you. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that we would be once again uh, renewed and charged and um, energized to work hard uh, being made into the image of Jesus because you are working on us to make us into the image of Jesus. It's, uh, it's very tempting for us just to kind of rest where we are and not do anything, having a, a let go, let God mentality on things. But we know that you've called us to be good stewards of our time, good stewards of this salvation that you've given us. And that it requires us to study your word and to pray and to seek opportunities to display the glories of Jesus in and among our own community and among those who are on the outside. And so we pray for wisdom on how to do that this season. We pray for hearts that are joyful in doing that this season rather than viewing it as an obligation, but as an opportunity where hearts are already softened toward the themes of the gospel and that we can focus those themes onto the personal work of Jesus, which is why we celebrate this season. So as we approach the word this morning, we pray for um, your spirit to be in us and among us and giving us um, wisdom and insight into these themes that are pulled from Paul's life, how they are applied to ours. We're thankful for all of it because of what Christ has done. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We are in Acts 21. Acts 21. We're going to start in verse 27 and just see how far we can get. Um, by way of review, what has happened to Paul on his entrance into Jerusalem? Remember, we read this long account that Luke gave, very detailed account of his, Paul's travels through Asia as he's leaving his third missionary journey, his last missionary journey, going toward Jerusalem. It has very, um, it echoes the, the, the march of Christ to Jerusalem. You see this with, with Paul's travels. So Paul rolls into Jerusalem. How is he greeted? What happens? Mixed greetings. Mixed greetings. In what way? Well, the brothers greeted him, but the Jews did not. The Jews, which Jews? The the bad Jews. <laughs> okay. <laughs> bad, okay. So what uh, what uh, what what do we see? What's the problem here? He's greeted joyfully by the brothers. Probably the Hellenistic Christians are happy to see him. How's he greeted by the elders of the Church of Jerusalem? Joyfully or? Apprehensively. Cautiously, apprehensively, good words. Why? What's going on? What's the issue? They're concerned over the the proselytizing of the Gentiles and how that they're concerned that they've heard that he's just 
totally thrown out the teachings of Moses and the traditions, I guess, if you will, of the um, of the Jews. And so they, I think they want clarification and they're, they want ease about, oh, well, what is this guy teaching and is he, throw, is he saying to throw all these things out? So there's been a rumor going around in Jerusalem about Paul and what he's doing. Right. He's hanging out with Gentiles. He doesn't even wash his hands when he eats. And so they're saying that the rumor that's coming back is that he is fraternizing with the enemy. Because at this time, we've got a serious nationalistic surge in Judea. Several insurrections have gone on, brutally put down by Roman authorities. Um, and so there's a nationalist zeal that's going on. They're going to make Israel great again. Uh, and they've got these several things going on. And so the more the insurrections are put down and the more brutal they are, the more of a, a Jewish zeal kind of happens for their traditions, for their history, for their uniqueness among the nations of the world, right? And so in walks Paul, who's been preaching this gospel that says, in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, right? Which makes a oneness, a universal claim to uh, the uniqueness of Christ, which does what? To the uniqueness of the Jews. It diminishes it. It diminishes it. Throws it out. And so to that... It throws such that they're now saying not only is he claiming this oneness in Christ, he's also saying, don't follow the traditions of the Jewish fathers. Don't honor the temple. Right? So those are the things that are going around. Forsake the law of Moses. Don't even don't even circumcise your, circumcise your children anymore. That's a huge deal for a Jew to stomach, to swallow these days. Alright, so you have... This uh, historical time frame uh, of intense nationalism among the Jews of Judea and Jerusalem, as we talked about, is a powder keg waiting to blow. And it does blow. And in 70 AD, it fizzles. And it gets destroyed by the Romans. That's coming. We're in the mid-50s here. So we've got 15 years left in the history of the Second Temple and Jerusalem at that time. So you've got all this kind of stuff going on, Paul being the object of scandalous rumors that he preaches against the temple, the law of Moses, um, the law of Moses, the law of Moses. And so what are the elders in Jerusalem who are sensitive? They're rejoicing in the work that Paul's doing among the Gentiles. What are they telling Paul to do uh, to, to kind of ally some of these rumors? Isn't this where they, they tell him to go participate in the Jewish the Nazarite vow, I think. It's to pay the sacrifice okay. of the three or four men that were in the Nazarite vow. And this seemed to work for King Agrippa. He bought some credibility with, with Jews by being doing this pious act of paying for sacrifices at the end of this Nazarite vow. And also, Paul's going to take part in another ritual, which was what? Do you remember? Purification. A purification ritual for what? What does it say? What, 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 was, what was involved there? Do you remember? Offering sacrifices. Okay. Is it burning the hair? That's the Nazarite vow, the burn the hair. Keeping the That's what happened to me. <laughs> Keeping, like kicking the dust off your feet. The, the typical, uh, I say the typical, the, the, a, a pious thing for a Jew to do when they came from a Gentile country was when they entered the Holy Land to wipe the dust off their feet and to go through a purification time 
where they are, in essence, cleansing themselves of the filth of the Gentiles to enter into the Holy Land. Just let that sit. That was the mentality. And in that mentality, you've got Paul walking in, and he's going to do this ritual, this I'm a good Jew. He's trying to ally the, the, this or, or counter these rumors that are going around that he is forsake, he's calling Jews in the, in the outer regions to forsake their Jewishness. Um, and he's more than willing to do this. It's a symbolic act of Jewish piety that what he's doing is trying to help justify his Gentile mission among the Jews of Judea. He doesn't want to be an obstacle to the gospel for these elders in Jerusalem. They're concerned about their witness to the Jews. So he's trying to, it's, it's a fine line, isn't it? And he's trying to walk it. All right, so let's look at verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they, had, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They, then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and the centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him. A little bit of an issue. Slight uh, irony here, isn't there? Who stirs up the crowd? Jews from Asia. Jews from Asia. Have we seen them before by any chance? The, a lot of scholars think that these are the, the Jews from Ephesus. I mean, he'd been there for three years. Following him around. Following him around. They're, they're bird-dogging him, right? So they're, they're in Jerusalem. They've already, they, some think that they were the ones that actually started the rumors initially uh, about Paul. So Paul, Paul, the purification rite that he's involved in requires a cleansing on the third and seventh days. And we will see that when we get to Numbers 19, um, a few months hence. Uh, so we've got a ways to go actually to get to 19, but we're going to get there. The, the, the smart folks think that it's probably the seventh day and, and that he was there to do the final parts of the ritual because on the third day when he was there, that's when they're it seems like that's where they're referencing when they saw him bringing a Greek into the, uh, the temple compound. All right, so these Jews from Asia are stirring up this stuff against Paul. Why is it significant that there's Jews from Asia? Why do you think? Not the local ones. It's not the local ones. Why, what's more credible? 
guys who have been around him in Asia or guys who have been in Judea and are just kind of like, you know, hearing rumors? What's more credible? If I'm going to get somebody, if I'm going to have a charge against somebody, I want somebody who's actually been there. You want somebody who has seen it, heard it, smelled it, whatever, all your senses. You want a good, credible witness, right? So these Jews from Asia, we've been in Ephesus with Paul. We kicked him out of our synagogue. So there's credibility there to what they're saying because of their location and their proximity to Paul over the past three years. Um, so here's the question. In their zeal for the ceremonial law, are they, what, what moral law are they violating? Okay, that's murder based on... Didn't have a trial. They didn't have any kind of trial, so there's some, there's some Levitical things going on there. They're interrupting his purification ritual. They're interrupting his purification ritual. And they were in the temple, right? Yeah. And so they caused a uproar such that non-Jews entered the temple to come arrest Paul? Or were they well, they were they were on the outside. That we'll get to there in a second, but that's a good that's a good point. They're lying. They're slandering him, right? What is the you? And this is one of the top ten, right? This is kind of big deal. This is on the stone written by the finger of God. You shall not bear false witness. Oh, but let's worry about whether or not we brought a Gentile into the court. There's a saying. Earlier in Scripture, in Luke and in John, actually, these, uh, in Luke, I know, uh, it's in red, so we know it's, it's inspired. Um, it, they strain a gnat and swallow a camel. Isn't it amazing how we get so fixated on these little things that they blow the major command? You want to be distinct? Look like God. Have His character. And yet, because they're so worried about their Jewishness, they blow the substance of what God has given them, which is, look like me. Be a light to the Gentiles. And here they violate a core thing about being a Jew, which is receiving the law by lying about Paul. Paul had spent three years in Ephesus. And many times... Uh, we see that the Jews in the diaspora, that spreading out of the Jews from Jerusalem, um, we see that they're very strict in their observance of Jewish ritual. Uh, and it may have been these same, same Jews who spread these rumors. What accusations are they making against him here? What accusations are they making? What are they saying he does? Talk to everyone. Uh... Everyone, everywhere. That's kind of inclusive, right? It's the only time they are basically inclusive. What, what, is, what is he teaching? Against the people in all Okay, so we got three charges, right? We got the law in this place. We've kind of seen that before. We've talked about the Torah and the temple. This is what they're talking about. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Did they make this charge against somebody else that we know? Yes, and who else? Earlier in this book. Stephen. Stephen. These are exact charges that they made against Stephen. And the third... The third charge that they make is against who? Who is he teaching against? The Jews, the people. Why is that significant? And is it true? Is, it tr is he teaching against the Jews? 
What does that mean? It's they're making it personal. They're trying to make it, it's like an attack on them. Okay. Is it? What is Paul's gospel? What is the gospel he's preaching among Gentiles? Unity. Unity. That Jesus is the way, not your Jewish ceremony. Let's not make the world Jerusalem. Let's make the world in the image of Christ. Is that teaching against the people? I, I find this very interesting because... One of the great arguments that we have for the deity of Christ is the response of the people to the I am statements. They seek to stone him because he blasphemed. They knew he was claiming to be God. I am the good shepherd. Before Abraham was, I am. So their response is, no, we ain't doing this. You're blaspheming. We don't believe you. You're blaspheming. That lends... Uh, you know, for people to say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, look at how they certainly understood him to be making those claims. They wanted to kill him. In the same way, you see Paul's gospel is not... What is the natural effect of claiming that all are one in Christ? There is no Jew or Greek. What, what, Jews aren't special. They ain't the elves. Right? <laughs> They're not Tolkien's elves. Our time is over. My people are leaving these shores. This is not going on. They're not the, you know, this special glittery people. I remember growing up, I went to a, a kind of a charismatic high school thing. And um, there's just a sense in which they're the elves in that culture. I remember having a history teacher come in and she was just all glassy eyed. I'm taking Hebrew from Rabbi Rudinsky. You know, she says, ah, what? Of course, at the time, I was like, oh, too, because I was in the cult. And, you know. But I'm looking back on that thinking, <laughs> what, what is this? It, I think it's, look, I think it's great to learn Hebrew. But learn Hebrew because God used that language to display himself through a people as they are tools of God to display himself to the world through, the, through Scripture. That's a tool. And in order for me to be a better tool for God, I need to have, <laughs> I need to have, uh, I, I think it's good to learn Hebrew. Right? I want to be a servant. I want to, I want to be a good steward of the, so that's fine. I get it from that standpoint. But just because you learn it from a rabbi doesn't mean that you have special dispensation to, you know. This is Paul's, the effect of Paul's gospel is to bring them down a notch. You ain't as chosen as you think you are. You're not as special as you think you are. And people don't like that. Right? Don't we see any of that in our day? You're not as special as you think you are. There's an entire generation that thinks they're blessed with specialness. I'm entitled to daddy's salary that he's been working at for 40 years right out of college. You ain't as special as you think you are. People don't like that. They throw fits over that, and they're throwing fits here. He preaches against the people. He teaches against the people. So in a sense, yes, he's preaching this oneness in Christ. There's no Jew, there's no Greek. There's no male or female, no slave or free. All come before Christ on the same terms. Repent and believe. All right. 
if what Paul claims is true, the Jews are not the elves. And that's that, and, and that, uh, that's not just among charismatic. That's that's a that is a fundamental political policy of this country. Well, well, we, I mean, we went to another Southern Baptist church here in town, um, where one of our dear friends wore a necklace with the Star of David and a cross, and she believed at the time. I think she's come around. She has. Um, she believed at the time that there were two ways to heaven. Mm. You could be a Jew. Or you could oh, wow. believe in Christ. Yeah. And um, and believe it or not, there are people either, even in very traditional Southern Baptist churches and other very traditional churches that that do have that um, view. Does Paul believe that? No. no. The evidence of it is not only in his letters, but in their response to him here, right? That they see the implications of what he's preaching. Um. All right. There's ultimately you have that implication that, that, that it reduces the significance of the Jews as God's chosen people. There's a new identity. The new identity is chosen in Christ. Chosen in Christ, the true Israel of God. And, and that's the antithesis of the culture. And you see a violent, fundamental response to this. What are they doing to Paul? Well, first of all, what else are they claiming here? they got the, the temple, the people... And the law of Moses. What else are they claiming? He brought a, a Gentile or a Greek in. They brought a they brought a Greek in. And thus defiled the holy temple. And thus defiled the holy temple. So you have in the temple complex a dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians two fourteen, right? Christ broke down the divide. This is where Paul gets this language, by the way. In the temple. There's the temple complex proper, and there's a series of filters based upon who you are and how important you are, all the way to the Holy of Holies where the high priest comes but once a year. Outside of the temple complex, there's a court called the Court of the Gentiles. And everybody can go there. That's all open. But up to, as you walk through the Court of the Gentiles, there are stones that are set out, and they're both in Greek and Latin, and they say... Don't go past here on penalty of death. And there's evidence that the Jews actually were allowed by the Romans to impose the death penalty even on Roman citizens for going past into the, which the next court is the court of the women. So they could, the Gentiles are less than women in Jewish culture if you want to kind of see how this goes. And so they're to be outside of this wall, this barrier. And if they go inside, even in the court of the women, it's penalty of death. And so the charge they're making against Paul here is very serious, but it's not true. There's the, the Asian Jews are supposing that Paul brought a Greek in because they had seen him around town. Um, we have from, uh, from Josephus a description of warning stones that, that are set at those regular intervals. Some are Greek, some are Latin, all forbid access to non-Jews. We have actually a few of them in Greek that have been excavated. And they have that language on there. No foreigner beyond this point on penalty of death. I mean, it's pretty, pretty uh, clear corroboration with what Luke is saying here. Um, there's some, there's some uh, well, they're jumping to conclusions. What is Paul trying to actually do here? This is the bizarre thing. What is he actually trying to do by going into the temple? What's, what's the whole motive behind what he's doing? He's, he's 
He's trying to bring unity. He's trying to bring down the wall of hostility. <laughs> he's trying to bring unity. Now my truck and a Greek in there, but what's he what's he actually doing? He's purifying himself so that he can have an inroad with the Jews about, hey, my mission is not to destroy your Jewishness. We don't care, we're just gonna kill you. It's ironic. It's their response. And yet the charge is, even though he's trying to purify himself, the charge is you've come to defile the temple itself. Right? This is the irony of the thing. Well, and he was keeping the law and they were breaking the law. And he was keeping the law, they were breaking the law. Breaking the law yeah. while accusing him of breaking the law. Yes. That, that is it is a lots of irony. It is a tangled, twisted web here. Um, he's here in the temple for his own purification, is now charged with having defiled the purity of the temple itself. So it says, verse 30. Look at verse 30. Um, where are we? Yeah, 30. It says, Then all the city was stirred up. So it says, All the city. This is Paul's hyperbole here, except the fact that the temple is really the town square. So there are a ton of people in there. There's lots going on, and we get from this situation that the scene just goes nuts. It just gets crazy town real quick um, because everybody's on edge. If you have sympathies to Gentiles, they don't like it, and they're on edge. Uh, so what do they do after this Charge was brought out. He brought a he brought a Greek into the into the temple. Well, after much thought and deliberation, what did they decide to do? Mob rule beat him. They beat him. This is why I don't like pure democracy. <laughs> Mob rule. What is what do they do with the temple? Well, they first have to take him outside. The they take him outside the temple and then they shut the they shut the gates. A lot of people put a lot of significance on that issue because they say from this point forward this is the last temple scene that we have in Acts. And they say that this is a kind of a symbolic thing of Jerusalem finally and the very last rejecting the messenger of God, rejecting God's work in Christ, and, and we never see any kind of activity within the temple again. I, I don't know how much you want, stock you want to put to that, but some people make that argument. Um, and so they take him out of the temple and then they begin to, I guess, lecture him on the proper use of Judaism. And what, what are they doing? They're beating him. Now, is that consistent with Jewish law? For the mob to beat him? No. No. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're, so you see this, this, this beating that's going on. And it looks like they're going to beat him to death. What happens next? The Roman soldiers and centurions come in and say that. So you've got Roman, the Roman tribune. The tribune is usually a, a leader over about a thousand troops. And it says he took centurions. Centurions, how many troops do you think they're in command of? A hundred. So we know there's at least two centurions there, so about 200 troops at the least, maybe more. Because whatever way, it's pretty impressive what comes out of that uh, barracks that's next to the temple. Um, because what does this crowd stop doing? <laughs> they stopped beating him immediately. Why would they do that? Well, they don't want to get killed. They don't want to get. They've already seen how the Romans suppress insurrections, <laughs> right? Hey, whoa, what, huh? The guy's bleeding on the ground. I know nothing. I saw nothing. <laughs> so they 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 get him there. The the Tribune, incidentally, this guy's. We later learn is going to be uh, Claudius Lysias. He's going to be very important over the next two chapters. Um, Anyway, we'll, we'll get to that later. He's a very important guy later on. So they, they 
They back off. And what's the Tribune's immediate response to the scene? What does he do? He's trying to figure out what happened. He's trying to figure out what happens and does what? Chains. He chains him. With how many chains? Two chains. Two chains. Really? The guy's puddle on the ground. You're gonna. I need two chains. Why is that significant? Why does Luke draw that out? Prophecy fulfilled by Agabus, right? That he would be bound hand and feet. And so they take him. What's it? It's funny because the prophecy all seems like, oh, you're going to be captured, you're going to be captured, you know, all this. Don't go, don't go, don't go. And then he gets there, and the Jews are trying to kill him, and the Roman soldiers capture him and thus save him. They save him, but do they do so knowingly? No. Well, we'll find out here in a second. We'll go read the next section, but, but it's kind of interesting. So did the, the, the crowd calm down once they chained Paul? No. No! What are they doing? Kill him, kill him. Kill him. Away with him, right? Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Luke 18, John 19. <laughs> this is what the crowd chanted at the trial of Jesus. How many years after... Well, it's the 50s, about 20 years. So it's a new generation. Daddy told me about this. Let's, let's, let's be good Jews. Let's do it again. Um, so many of those participating probably don't even know what's going on. They're just chanting because somebody's getting beaten. Obviously, he deserves it. Um, and so Lysias can't get sense of what happens because nobody can tell him what is going on. And they actually have to lift him into the barracks. Why do you think that is? He's been beat. He's got his legs chained. And the crowd is like chanting and being violent with him as they're going, right? So they just lift him and carry him almost to the, to the, um, to the barracks because of the, the sheer aggressiveness of the crowd, according to Luke. And they're chanting away with him. What's the implication of that, by the way? Just, hey, get him out of our sight? No, they think that the kill, 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 kill him. Kill him. Kill him. So they're chanting for his death. And let's see what happens in verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia a citizen of no obscure city. I wonder if that's Paul or Luke. A citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. We'll finish the rest of that uh, hopefully next week. So Paul's about to get into relative safety inside the barracks. I bet that prison door looked like a welcome home-cooked meal about to happen when you're starving. I mean, you've been beat out in public, and he's going to get inside the barracks to safety. And uh, so what does he do? Wait, wait, wait. Let me talk to the crowd. Does that make sense? (laughs) Wouldn't it be, get me out of here? No, no. Let me talk to the crowd. What does the Tribune do when he hears him speak? What is he, what is he saying? How does he respond? 
Well, he's got him confused with somebody else. You think? What he's referring to at this time, we know again from Josephus, a great resource here, that there was some Egyptian false prophet who at this time was running around the countryside getting followers. And, and Josephus calls them the dupes. <laughs> they are actually, um, they're, they're tricked by this guy who says that he takes them out in the wilderness. They do things in the wilderness, come to the Mount of Olives, and he says, all right, when I say the word, the walls of Jerusalem are going to fall down, and the Romans will be easy pickings for you, and we'll take them, and then we'll liberate Judea that way. So this guy, and, and what actually happened <laughs> was the Romans came, killed 400 of them, took 200 of them uh, prisoner, and then the rest of them, of course, with the Egyptian, fled. So what, what the, the import here, the Tribune is saying, is he thinks basically these dupes saw the Egyptian in Jerusalem again and are taking their revenge on him for leading them you know, on this fool's errand. That's what a lot of scholars think is going on. So he, but he hears Paul speaking in, in the language, in the, in the Greek that Paul is using here is very polite, very polished Greek. And it surprises him. Um, he was expecting this ruffian, this rabble guy. And he gets, uh, incidentally, he said, it says assassins in the ESV. The, the, the NIV, may, I think, translates it terrorist. And that's actually more appropriate. They were called, uh, let me get the word right here. These guys with the, with the, with the Egyptian were called the Sakari. The basis, uh, the, the root word there is, uh, is, is a word for dagger in Aramaic. And their, their modus, mode of operation was to kind of go into large crowds on big ceremonial days kind of blend in with the crowd, take daggers and stab political pro-Roman enemies, and then blend back into the crowd and move away. Nothing is new. There's nothing new. They've always been with us. We've just been in a bubble for 300 years as Americans. It's always been there. So these are the guys that the, that the Roman is, is believing he's arresting. Um, and so... And so how does Paul respond? He's not a terrorist, right? He, he, he does that charge. He's not even Egyptian. He references his citizenship of Tarsus, but doesn't go into his Roman citizenship, and that's kind of important for later on. And since he was a Jew, the idea is he has grounds to then talk to the Jews. Um, and that he was cultured, assured Lysias that he wasn't a rabble and is going to stir them up again. He... he he, he merited the honor of the request to address his accusers, to address this crowd. So how does Paul speak to the Jews? He spoke to the Tribune in Greek. How does he speak to the Jews? In Hebrew, Aramaic probably, Hebrew dialect of Aramaic. The, 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 he waves his hand to silence the crowd, and he speaks in this Hebrew dialect to the people. Why is that significant, by the way? Why didn't he speak to him in Greek? He's you know, already there. He's once again striving for unity. He's striving for unity. He's meeting them on their terms. He's becoming a Jew to the Jews, mm -hmm. right? He's showing them, I'm a Jew like you. I'm not trying to destroy your culture. All right. He had been accused of teaching against the law, the temple, and the people. And what follows is his defense against these three charges. And he starts with a very respectful and Jewish introduction like Stephen did. Brothers and fathers. That's where he begins. And, um, and we're going to pick up on that next time. Any, any, uh, any comments or questions? Fruit to be thrown. 
pretty exciting entry into Paul's first defense uh, among the Jews, and it won't be his last over the next few chapters. So, yeah, it's going to be crazy town. So, anyway, all good. All right, let's. There's nothing new under the sun. It's still interesting how how much upheaval and unrest is in Jerusalem and the surrounding area today. I mean, yeah. Um, I don't think the world at large realizes, you know, its own depravity, but you can just look at that and it, it points it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a constant reminder of where we are. I had a guy tell me this week, he said, you know, if you pick professions that, are, that, that work off of the basic fall of man, then you will always have work. Lawyers, doctors, accountants, <laughs> police, <laughs> they're always going to be there. Funeral directors, always going to be there, you know, so go ahead. I think sometimes, even though we don't, um, I guess at this church, we don't lift Jews up on a pedestal, Israel, Israel, Israel. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I've swallowed the pill of, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm blessed. God will bring me success in business, he'll bring me health in life, mm -hmm. he'll make me great or whatever I'm mm -hmm. protected mm -hmm. I'm better than you you pray about a hedge of protection right <laughs> speak it, yeah you speak that into existence yeah um, but you know I mean th this just goes to show that that's that's not the case mm -hmm. um, Christ suffered and Paul suffered and we will suffer yeah and, you know there's a lot of decisions that I've made in, in my jobs that I probably shouldn't have made that it's, it's just to keep the peace oh I'm I'm just not going to say anything here. I'm not going to be real vocal mm -hmm. uh, because that could end real badly. I'm just going to keep the peace. Um, God, God will will win in the end, and yeah, know, I justify a lot of that. Sure, and and I think one of the things we can take away from from what we see of Paul is that he's not trying to add an obstacle to the gospel. He's t trying to take himself out of it. Mm -hmm. He's trying to show the, the he's not antagonistic to them. He loved, and you see this in Romans, uh, Romans 9. He loves his, the, his national people. That's not, patriotism is not a bad thing, right? I know this, we kind of do this kind of thing as Christians. Sometimes, well, we're of Jesus, we're not of America. Well, patriotism is not a bad thing, but it's when you put it above the loyalty to Christ, I think, that, uh, that we get into trouble. Um, and so you see him taking the obstacle out, trying to at least take the obstacle out. Where I mean, the gospel's offensive enough. Let's not add to it. And you see him doing that. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Paul, uh, Philip talked last week, too, about the levels of suffering, the different levels of suffering. Some of, some of that is fighting your own sin is suffering. He used tacos. That's a very basic thing. And I, and I, I agree with that. Um, that, that tacos are, are, are very seductive. Um, but but that, that, of course, is a light example. But there are, there are many levels of suffering that, that, uh, that you could have. It doesn't always have to be. You don't seek this. We don't, we don't try to find this. I'm not driving to Detroit today just to go stick my thumb in the eye of some Muslim about how Jesus is God. I mean, I'm not going to do that unless... <laughs> I see an inroad, then let's go. But anyway, all right. Seeing this love for these people mm -hmm. is very convincing. 
Yeah. Because it's real easy to, to go, you know, well, I, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he just keeps trying. And he could just do one of these. He did that at one point. He did. He did. Early on, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, good. Let's pray. God, I feel that, that I don't have the heart of Paul um, in a zeal for the gospel, in a zeal for preaching to others at cost to myself, at risk to myself. We, we seek comfort and protection and the good life. And you're gracious to us to provide us a lot of things living in this country. But God, I pray that we we realize that they're temporary. And I pray that we seek wisely ways to make much of Jesus in the midst of the gifts that you've given us, even if it may cost us those gifts. Would you be with us today as we go into the next service? Would you make much of Jesus in us and among us? May we worship him in spirit and in truth. Would you be with Philip as he brings the word this morning that he would... Speak what the Spirit has for the church this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.